This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas on the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Gabriel Urbina, and I am your first Bad Ideas host. My name is Sarah Shackett. I have consumed Zach Valenti and am both your second and third ideas. It was pretty <laughs> gruesome, like, dear listeners. Like, I have to lie. I am not going to lie. Uh, it was pretty intense. It's been a minute. I've, I've been gone a couple times, and I was I came back, and I was hungry. No, yeah. Zach's just, Zach just is just busy right now. We, we miss him. He sends his apologies, and he'll be back with a vengeance, hopefully next week for a new episode. But in the meantime, we do have a special guest star to round out the Bad Ideas crew this week. They are a podcast producer and a maker of many audio things, a long variety of many involved projects. We could Ooh. tell you about them, but then we would be here for hours. Instead, let's just <laughs> say it. It's Ponders. How are you doing? Hello, I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. To, to do the, the ideas and the bad to the good and all the, all the things. It's great. That's awesome. We're thrilled to have you on here. For anyone who is here for the first time as well, this is the show where we find articles or internet posts or tweets, just any kind of written communication that conveys a bad idea that somebody once had. And then we pretend that we're like old timey screenwriters in like the 1930s and Jack Warner has just like slammed that bad idea down on our desk and has gone, I want a pitch about this. You got 10 minutes to come up with a pitch. And then we're like, oh God, we need to come up with a pitch. Ben for Jack Warner is drunk, it's minutes. only us. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah, I believe that you have our first bad idea for today, right? I do, I do have the first bad idea for today. Hey everybody. Editing Gabriel here with a message from the future. Uh, basically, yes, Sarah did have the first bad idea for this episode. Unfortunately, what Sarah also had was a microphone that started bugging out about one minute into this bad idea. We have absolutely no idea what happened, but basically the audio for her side of this conversation is a garbled mess. And it kind of made the next 10 or so minutes of tape unusable. Uh, we're really, really sorry. We really don't know what happened. It's never happened before. Fortunately, we were able to catch it and she reset her microphone and everything was fixed in time for our second bad idea. But it does kind of mean that we have no way of actually presenting the first bad idea. We're really, really sorry. We hope it never happens again, but I'm gonna use my magical time warping powers to take us straight to the second bad idea, which is gonna start right now. <laughs> all right. We, got, we have to funny. save the episode now. <laughs> it's fine, it'll all be fine. All right, and it looks like I'm having a normal waveform. We can continue. Huzzah. Wonderful. Yeah. Alrighty, let's dive in. For my bad idea, I have brought us something from the well that keeps on giving. 
the here we are i could not find the window where i had the article open reddit's am i the asshole subreddit i'm actually not going to read like the headline am i the asshole thing because i think it gives away sort of like a fun little twist in the narrative so we're just going to head on in but remind me to read it to you guys once like i get to the end because it is exceptionally good recently a friend 32 female of nine years who i 27 also female considered mm -hmm. one of my good friends texted me completely out of the blue saying she didn't want to come to my wedding or be my friend anymore okay some backstory i knew the friendship was fading but had just assumed we would slowly go our separate ways over the past few years, I have often gone to her house to comfort her about everything that went wrong in her life, including things she had a choice in changing, e.g. she didn't counteroffer enough at her job before signing the contract, her new boyfriend snores and then she yells at him, her new e-scooter's battery is too heavy to, to get her to her great new job, etc. I'm getting a picture. In contrast, in the past few years, my two parents have had three cancer diagnoses between them, and my sister died. And any time I tried to talk to her about any of this, she just changed the subject. Anyway, this all happened three days after coming to my apartment, laughing, chatting, and exchanging gifts and books. When she was at my house, the only moment that seemed to upset her is when I asked her if she wanted to help organize my bachelorette party. She said she wouldn't do a good job. I said I didn't really care, and I wasn't sure if I wanted one anyway. And it could just be drinks and a movie at my place, if that. She was a bit cagey about it, but at no point said no. Perhaps I could have picked up on this, but I also think if you don't want to do something, just tell me. So, a few days later, I get this long text saying she didn't want to be my friend anymore or come to my wedding. I was obviously upset because rejection feels like garbage, and I tried to call her to discuss it, but she just wouldn't pick up. She said we should take time to, quote, let it sink in. I was still upset, but just decided to give her some time. After a day or two, I realized that anyone who would act like this with no explanation wasn't someone I wanted to be friends with anyway. But here comes the plot twist. I know, I'm waiting for I was waiting for, for this. The yeah. tension is so thick. I know. <laughs> Five days later, she messages me to say she has, written on, she has written an essay on all her issues with me that I won't like. Also, oh, no. it's too big to send by WhatsApp, frequently used in Europe for texting. So she is going to email it to me. This was accompanied by a lot of smiley emojis and friendly exclamation marks. I told her not to send the essay because I wouldn't <laughs> read it as I no longer wanted anything to do with her. And I blocked her on WhatsApp. She then proceeded to send me green text telling me I wouldn't grow if I didn't read this essay and oh, that I no. was selfish. I then blocked her on everything. I'm sure I wasn't completely in the right, but the way she dealt with this whole situation seems completely wild to me. Am I the asshole for not reading her essay? <laughs> 
the answer is always no when the question is, am I the asshole for not reading an essay? Yeah. <laughs> oh. the, the top line subject headline, by the way, is am I the asshole for not reading my ex-friend's essay about everything that's wrong with me? Uh, which I'm like, no, girl, you're you're not. You're fine. No, you're fine. Oh that is a God. fun activity, though, for a, if she does decide to have a bachelorette party is to get super duper drunk, dramatic reading of the essay where all of your actual friends make fun of it. Highly recommend that. I might just be a little nosy, but I kind of want to read the essay. <laughs> <laughs> Like just forward it to me. I won't tell anybody. I just, I just kind of want to know what's in it. You know. <laughs> I think that this is. I'm gonna start a timer, by the way. But cool, cool. I think that this is a good like icebreaker question if you're meeting someone. Where like you know, like if you go like, hey, so like imagine like you know a friend suddenly wants to no longer be friends with you out of the blue. They then like later tell you that they have written an essay on everything they don't like about you. Do you want to read it or do you not? I would I'm with I'm with the original poster. I would be like, no, I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would I, I would want someone else to read it for me. Uh -huh. You know, I would deputize someone and be like, is any of this actually legitimate? Right, 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 right. Like, are there any things that I should work on here? Yeah. I don't want to read it if it's written about me. I want to read the actual oh, essay. Oh, well, I think we all want to read that one. Yeah, no, 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 no. I think, I, I think, in, and by the way, like everyone on Reddit, I think was also like, "You're not the asshole," but also like, "Could you maybe give us the essay?" We're so curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe there's something to this of like Spike Jones, sensitive, whatever, whatever, giving, <laughs> uh, giving Joaquin Phoenix like the job of a greeting card writer in her. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's, maybe there's something to like some weird near future service of providing people with closure or context through writing essays about everything that's wrong with them. And this so, is a backdrop for some sort of twisted romantic comedy. So like, just to like, see if I'm getting like the vibe generally correct. It's like, you know, we have our hero played by a young Jason Schwartzman, or maybe not our hero, but like we have a young Jason Schwartzman in this movie. He's dating someone. He kind of doesn't want to be dating them anymore. But yeah. he like really doesn't want to go through like the pain and the emotional labor of breaking up with them properly. Yeah. So he can go to the service five days later. The service gives him a letter that he then like can go to his girlfriend and be like, hey, we're not dating anymore. Also, before you say anything here, read what's in this envelope. And then the girlfriend reads it and she's kind of like, this makes some compelling points. OK, we're not dating anymore. <laughs> I, I almost feel like there's a part of me that wants it to be like a pina colada song situation <laughs> uh -huh. where two people uh -huh. receive uh, breakup letters in the mail accidentally, like not specifically. They were supposed to go to somebody else. Uh -huh. But then Ooh. as we were talking about, like they kind of want to read the essay, right? Yeah. They're, like they don't know who <laughs> this is supposed to go to, but they want to know what was wrong with that person. And they like really sympathize with it. Mm -hmm. And then... And it's it's um the person that is meant that was meant to go to it has their same name. Like, you know, it's like the letter goes to a like Tom Clark, but not like the Tom Clark that it was meant to. So right. it is sort of this like really bewildering, like this is in some ways is directed at me. And like it is really spooky to read something that like so confidently talks about all the things that are wrong with me. But it's also very clearly not me. I am so curious about like who this real Tom Clark is. Right. And then they start to notice little things in their day to day. 
that like mm-hmm. make them think it might actually be about them because like wait that kind of lines up with something that I just did and like remembering those words and so then they're like hunting down the the like company right like they're trying to find who wrote the letter how can they get back to this person and at some point like they have to realize that like these letters are so generically written because mm-hmm. it's a company that does it right <laughs> yeah right it, i mean i i think that's that's a better comedy angle it could go to like an eternal sunshine place where it is actually them but they just don't remember anything but i like i like that better of just like this is kind of like you know um i'm gonna get in trouble but like you know sort of fortune cookie logic or something of just like it's so bland that it could apply to anyone and so they start seeing it in themselves and changing themselves and it affects their actual relationship. Just to just to also join you in the trouble, you mean like sort of like a zodiac kind of like a horoscope sort of a thing as well? Yeah. Sure, we can dig our, we can dig our graves <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, not, no, it's I'm exactly gonna, like astrology. I'm not going to contribute to this grave. I'm just going to sit <laughs> on the side and watch the two of you dig. <laughs> much much smarter, much much yeah. cleverer. Um, this was actually, this leads to a question that I did have, which is like, what is the legitimacy and kind of, I think related to that, like, what is the price point of that? Because I think that there is a version of this company that is like, okay, if you want to employ us, we're going to need every love letter that you guys ever wrote. We're going to need access to your email and your text message. We're also going to need, like, you're not going to be able to break up with them for like a month because we need like to tail you for a month and see how you interact. Uh, and we're going to make to, like, it worse, Gabrielle. Uh-huh. I'm going to make it bad. Yeah. Because if it's Google, they already have all of that information. Okay, well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you right, but, like, but, like, but like there is a world where like somebody could actually take the time and be like, we're sorting through sure, it all and we're doing sure. something like highly customized and highly effective. That will be $65,000, please, for the service. Or there is the one where it's like, you know, $400, but you kind of get like, dear blank, it's not about blank, it's about blank. The, the problem is it may cost $400, but they're only paying their writers $50 a letter. Oof, you know oof. that they're not paying Oof. well enough. <laughs> and I was going to say, like, if it's generic, then I think it would be interesting for it to be about one of the writers who has to come up with these generic letters. If it's tailored, then I like the idea of the wrong Tom Clark getting a letter. Yeah. That's that's hyper specific. Yeah. Yeah. If it's generic, then like whoever the writer is, they need to be like the unexpected Mozart of this, where like they write these like amazing, super effective letters. And like they've never been good at anything before. And now all of a sudden they are amazing at breaking up with people. And it's just like, I don't know what this says about me and I don't like it. Just this is the movie that Taylor Swift has been waiting for. <laughs> Ponders, what were you going to say? I interrupted you a moment ago. I'm sorry. No, it's OK. I, I, that actually got me thinking, like, in terms of this being a rom-com, what if it's what if it's both? Right. Like, what if the story is about the person who's writing, who's just being paid to write these generic letters, but is like putting a lot of effort into them and the person who accidentally gets one of these letters and feels so seen by it, but they know it was an accident, right? Like there's no way to get back to it. And yeah. so now it's not about finding who sent the letter. It's about finding who wrote the letter. And that that's how they're like sort of chasing after each other. At, at some point, right? Like he's he's like following the delivery driver to people's mailboxes and trying to steal letters to like get more. These are not even addressed to him anymore. Yeah. They're addressed to other people, but he he needs more of this like, 
like validation and, and deeper understanding and internal reflection mm-hmm. from from this writer who is just the best writer of and getting paid way less than they deserve, I should add. <laughs> no, and there can even be a dynamic where they can both have like some amount of power over each other because the writer can discover that the screw up happened. Mm-hmm. And and like there's something about this letter that like it's not easily reproducible. It's not as easy as like printing out another copy. And so they have to track down our protagonist. And it's like, I need you to give me that letter back. And the guy's like, I'm not giving you this letter back until you agree to spend time with me and to like figure out how like you did this. Right, right. I really, really like it. And like, I really can see like the quirky Spike Jones arcade fire soundtrack like yeah. version of this movie. And I think yeah. it's pretty good. <laughs> with, a, with a hint of like eternal sunshine, right? With a hint yeah. of like, the slightly weird and quirky elements of this in like a world where everyone is always breaking up with other people via this. You could, it could be like a, a generic service that kind of pours through your email history and, and you get this notification on Gmail. That's like, Hey, we noticed that your relationship with this individual has been going downhill in your oh, past no. 500 messages. Would you I like to send it. them a breakup? I hate it so much. It's been 493 <laughs> days since you just bought, since you last bought flowers. You know, is it right. maybe Are you time? In trouble? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, uh, I yeah. just want to say that, like, I think that, like, this service's URL should be, like, the time has come dot net or something like that. <laughs> man. Oh, man. Uh, not just relationship manager? Ooh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, speaking of titles, we have 30 seconds left on the clock. What is this Spike Jones rom-com called? Uh, I'm thinking of ending things it's already taken. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Charlie Kaufman beating us to the punch there. I know. In this yeah. essay, I will. <laughs> i'm guessing that there's a movie already called dear john yeah there is, uh, there I, is. I, I was thinking like uh um like the letters letters to clark or something like that oh right? yeah um very good and that is time <laughs> the assassination of tom it. clark by the coward letter writer <laughs> The assassination of Tom Clark's heart by the coward reverend reverend letter writer. That's great. Yeah, I love that. Yes, there it is. (laughs) Beautiful. Where's Miranda July? She's, what is she doing? It's not this. Yes, yes. (laughs) Or how I learned to stop being an asshole and read the essay. (laughs) (laughs) Phenomenal. Alrighty, folks, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with Ponders for more No Bad Ideas. Stay tuned. Hello there, Zach Valenti, jumping into this episode with this brief reminder that we have an active Patreon page to support the production of No Bad Ideas and all the other crazy worlds we're building behind the scenes. To check that out, scope the sweet rewards we offer for monthly subscriptions, as well as how to sign up yourself. Head on over to nobadideaspodcast.com support. Once more, that's nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. If you already support the show, we so appreciate that. And regardless, thank you for listening. All right, let's get back to more No Bad Ideas. 
All right, everybody, we are back with No Bad Ideas with special guest star, Ponders. And normally here on No Bad Ideas in the back half of the show, we sort of do a little, like, interview let. Like, you know, I don't think that, like, any of us are professional enough to be able to call it sort of like a professional profile on our guests. But in the ideal world, what we really love to have are sort of conversations, things where we actually kind of do, like, a little bit of back and forth with the people that are kind enough to come on our show instead of just kind of like an interrogation where we're like, what do you do? Why do you do it? How long How have you been so doing good it? At it? <laughs> and we're thrilled that actually, like, as we were talking about this episode with Ponders, you suggested that you might have a thing that you would like to talk to us about here on the Bad Ideas Lounge. Yeah, uh, it's a... <clears throat> It's not a good idea or a bad idea. It's definitely a half-baked idea. Great. This okay. is just something I thought of a couple of days ago when I was watching a movie, and I want to dig into it, and I feel like eventually there's an essay I can write about this, or like, you know, like an interview series or something like that. But uh, I'll just tell the story of how the, how this idea came to my head. So yes. there's a movie in the Criterion Collection uh, that got added last year called Smooth Talk. Okay. Uh, 1985, Joyce Chopra. The most important thing is that it stars Laura Dern. Nice. And it is a coming of age, like teenage drama film from the 80s, but it's not like any other coming of age teenage drama film from the 80s, mostly because it's based on a play by Joyce Carol Oates. So it has a like real depth to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of catches you off guard because it starts with them like running around the mall and laughing at boys and like, you know, trying to run away from the boys who do end up hitting on them. And you feel like you're very much in a normal 80s style. But throughout the film, Laura Dern's character um, is like steadily exploring her relationship to boys and wanting to be attracted to boys or wanting to do things sexually with boys, but also being really afraid of intimacy and really afraid of how vulnerable that makes her. And so and just um, to make sure that I'm kind of like setting my mind to all the dials correctly, 1985, Laura Dern would have been early 20s, like even younger. Okay, yeah, I think in the movie she plays like 17 or 18. Wow. um, Okay, but she's like 21 or 22. Right. Um, And the movie, I, I will say, if you haven't seen it, the movie climaxes in this like 15, maybe 20 minute scene in a 90 minute movie where there's this guy who's slightly older, like 22, 23, Mm -hmm. shows up at her house when her family's away. And it is the most tense, like, this is the part where it feels like it comes from a play and he's, like, getting closer to her than she's comfortable with. And, I mean, it's a really intense movie. I would recommend watching it, but also being prepared for a really intense movie. Mm-hmm. even though it's in the guise of an 80s drama. Anyway, I could go on <laughs> about movies forever, so I'm going to stop there and rewind to a point in the middle of the movie where um, Laura Dern has decided she she's made out with this boy this other time. Mm-hmm. And her friend, who's slightly younger, is really concerned that she's expressing this interest in boys because she doesn't think it's safe, right? She's got the younger friend who's still timid and still unsure of this world, and they have this conversation that's really tense And Laura Dern's character just like doesn't know how to end it or how to get out of it or how Mm -hmm. to fix their friendship in that moment. So she gets up, puts on the radio and starts dancing like very casually, like back and forth swaying and says, like, do you want to dance with me? Come on. Why won't you dance with me? And their unwillingness to dance together is sort of a representation that like the bond has been eternally broken. None of that is important, though. (laughs) 
The only thing I care about is that at the very end of this scene, we cut to a 10 second shot of the mother who has not been a part of this conversation standing outside of the room and she's dancing too. Hmm. And throughout the movie, there's been this like really tense relationship with the mom. She's abusive, but she's also, you can tell that like there's something wrong. And when she does that dance, you can feel that she too feels cut off from the future, cut off from the world. Mm -hmm. And like she wasn't able to fully express everything that she wanted to in the same way her daughter is. And there's this like brilliant moment in five seconds with no dialogue where my empathy for this character who like at one point in the film hits her daughter is deepened, not to a point that's like all is forgiven, but to a point where it's like, oh, I know where the pain of this woman is coming from. And there's no dialogue. So this is the question, right? As people here who are audio fiction writers, how do you develop that kind of empathy without a character just explicitly telling us their backstory? Because when they explicitly tell us their backstory, it's almost too easy to say, well, now that I've heard it from them, I, I understand where they're coming from. Because the thing with that mom is that it's not something she says. It's not something she can ever say. Yeah. It's not right. something she can communicate to anybody without it being a movie about her, right? Uh, and it's just something intimately we and the, the audience and her get to see and build that bond. So that's my question. How do you, how do you develop empathy in an audio-only medium? And I would love to hear from both of you because I think you're both masters at it. So I'm, I'm going to learn. I'm going to sit back and learn. <laughs> that's a phenomenal question. I don't and know about that. Yeah, well, that, that too, what Sarah just said. <laughs> um, but like, this is a really interesting question. And I think it is something that we have thought about a fair deal, especially because with Wolf 359, especially kind of the original plan was a little bit to make a series that like really withheld empathy. There was kind of this idea of like, you are going to sort of just like be really seeing the world through this like very acerbic, very sarcastic man's point of view. And it's not until like far, far later that you're going to be allowed to have sort of like a little bit more of an emotional window into the other characters in the show. And that very quickly kind of, you know, ended up collapsing because we had charismatic actors that kind of made it very um, difficult to not empathize with these people. But here's, so there's a lot of different components to this. And here's kind of like the first thing that comes to mind. I think that... One of the best ways to kind of do it when you're doing something in audio fiction is there are a couple of things that audio fiction can let you do because it's a medium that kind of conceals information so readily. And it's a medium that kind of is so terse with the amount of information that it's giving you that it's very easy to kind of not only do something that is from a character's point of view, but to kind of surprise the audience with, oh, you were kind of listening to this in a very specific way and from a very specific point. And that's maybe now making you rethink what you had been hearing for a little bit, didn't it? Um, and like, I'll give an example. And this is something that like longtime listeners of the show have heard us talk about. There is a scene in an episode of Wolf 359 that Sarah wrote where Hira, the kind of autopilot program on the station where the show takes place, 
she's been kind of buggy. She's been a little malfunctioning for a little while slash for most of the series. And for the past couple of episodes, there's actually been an artificial intelligence specialist around who's kind of been working with her to kind of diagnose some of the issues, to kind of fix what can be fixed, to kind of like patch up things. And in this particular scene, this AI specialist comes on, talks to Hira, and sort of goes, okay, I now need you to tell me whatever it is that you haven't told me. Because everything that you've told me that can be fixed is now fixed, and you're still having problems. So what's wrong? What is the thing that is going on here? And Hira kind of goes like, you know, there's nothing wrong. Get out of my face. And the AI specialist pushes her, and she kind of goes like, I know there's something wrong. And Hira goes, I'm fine. No, you're not. I really am. No, you're not. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, there's kind of this moment where, like, you know, the, like, AI specialist says, Hira, I know for a fact that there's something wrong. And Hira goes, well, how can you know that? And the AI specialist goes, because I don't think that you realized when the lights went out in this room two minutes ago. Like, I don't think that you realized that there was this, like, ambient change in this room, which so many listeners have kind of gone, like, that was a moment where, like, the floor fell away for me. Like, that was kind of like this moment where, like, my heart sank. And it is precisely because the fact that audio is concealing things lets you kind of realize that you have just experienced this moment in the exact perceptive way that this character went through it. Like, you were so sure that something was the way that it was, and then it wasn't. And I think that those kinds of moments, like, really align you with kind of those characters when you kind of have this moments where like your idea of what the world is and their idea of the world is both get shifted at the same time. And I think that those are usually the moments when like we really kind of like get a window into the way that like someone's minds work when they kind of like have to reckon with, oh, I had this assumption and that assumption was proven wrong. Um, and yeah, so yeah, so I think that that's a lot of how it goes into it. I've been blathering for quite a bit. So Sarah, I'm curious about your general thoughts. I, I, I'm just going to build on that because it's a great, it's it's a great take. I think that, you know, you can, I think a lot of people feel like, you know, you can have in, in audio fiction, like dialogue of like, let me tell you my entire backstory. And those, <laughs> you know, those scenes do exist, but, but I, the more affecting thing is when you're able to sort of align the audience with a character's interiority or, you yeah. know, sort of subjective experience. And to, to broaden that out, like at the end of the day, it's all pattern matching, right? Um, you know, even that, that example you brought up uh, visually the from um, the Laura Dern film Ponders, like that's the, what, what makes that affecting is the fact that we draw a connection between the mother and daughter through similar. In a visual medium, you can show that. In an audio medium, you have to set up those patterns of speech, effects, uh, or silences, right? We uh, got a lot of... <laughs> Uh, hysterical yelling, uh, and uh, then did a lot of hysterical yelling ourselves, like uh, when characters change how they address each other mm -hmm. uh, for the first time, or when um, something about how they interact with each other is pointed out to have been uh, changed or artificial in some way. And so I think, you know, to establish that sense of empathy, it's really just like finding the ways that the characters have interacted with the, wor the world and drawing a new pattern um, that says something about that character, um, the limits of their experience, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can I toot both of your horns for a minute? Please, or, please. Is, is please. that the phrase? Like, can I, 
Can I gas you up? Can I say something nice about work that the two of you have done? Please, oh, God. on this podcast. We have made a terrible mistake, Sarah. <laughs> I, so I, I, to that idea of pattern matching, I think probably all the time about Unseen. I think about mm. it maybe like twice a month, maybe once a week. Who's to say? <laughs> but um, there's something that happens in Unseen where each episode adds a little layer to this world building like very beautifully very intentionally i'm sure that's like the whole the whole idea is like every episode you peel back another little part of this world and deepen it until you know you get to zach's episode and are you watching closely is something that is like directly called out and you're like mm-hmm. what what is going on there and then you get to julia's episode and it's like oh okay we're, we're now witnessing this thing that has impacted every single story but not in a way that is about Julia's character yeah. comes back around together because of how everyone else has interacted with this element from the world building. Um, the same thing happens in my personal favorite episode, the new year's episode where, you know, um, I can't remember the character's names off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Quite <laughs> Beth's, all right. Quite all right. Beth's character is like, you know, experiencing this world from the position of somebody who knows everything about this world and yet knows nothing about this world. Yeah. And when you get to that point at the end, spoilers, where her brother shows up and they have this really intimate conversation about like being twins and knowing each other so well and still not knowing each other, you get that like parallel and thematic resonance so that as they're talking about their experience as, you know, people who work in this world and their experience as brother and sister, the two feed off of each other until you've you've like really understand how they view their shortcoming and and you know the brilliant desert story that happens at the end there but <laughs> uh yeah I, I think it's exactly that, like pattern matching to world building pattern matching to the way that characters like interact with these smaller elements that happen throughout and then like you said Gabrielle like shifting that thing like pulling that thing ever so slightly to the left so that you're now mm-hmm. looking at it from a slightly different perspective and are you are you watching closely becomes a sort of like uh you know twisted element rather rather than just like this clever element there's like a layer of darkness to you, to it that you didn't quite understand yeah. yeah and it informs and i mean anytime you do something again and again and again it will give it that additional weight when it's mm-hmm. turned slightly to the left or slightly to the right we were i remember like kind of nervous about episode 10 being sort of uh dark and stormy. Yeah. <laughs> um mm-hmm. but it really like it it really just made sense because that's the pain of Julia's character that it carries through all these disparate stories that have nothing to do with her. Right. Yeah. And and all have to do with magic and all have to do with what you can accomplish and what you can't accomplish and your relationship to this world that you want to learn from but only can learn so much from, which is kind of the theme of so many of the episodes, right? Um so it's brilliant. I don't know if I've told you this, but I love Unseen. <laughs> oh, oh, thank, thank you, you. <laughs> so much. <laughs> There's a, you, dear listeners, if you have not yet listened to Unseen, what have you been waiting for? We've been telling you about it for a while. And yeah. like this is now a ringing endorsement from one of the best minds in the field. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I was, I was going to, I also don't want to toot my own horn, but I have an example from a thing that I did that as I was trying, because, you know, I came up with this thought. And then I was like, wait, have I ever accomplished that? Uh-huh. And I think I only did it once, but I'm sure I've accomplished it at some other point. But there's this accession episode that I wrote about um, going to the Met, uh, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, 
I went there, I found this sculpture of night. And she's down on her knees and her head is in her hand and you can't see her face like she's looking down. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the sculpture, I was just like, why? Why is she like that? Like, what? Why is that what night represents? What what is the sculptor trying to get at? And then in the story, what happened? Well, in the story, but also in real life, I broke into the Met after hours. Uh, I (laughs) stayed in the bathroom and I tried to, like, avoid the security guards and I broke in. Nice. Um, and so I was sitting in the room where she was sitting. And as soon as the lights went off, she stood up and she started to sing this Pablo Neruda poem that I really like. Um, but to affect that. So the idea being that, you know, what Knight doesn't like about this room is the bright, bright lights that the Met yeah. is shining on her the whole time. And so what I did is in the background, there's like this, you know, the hiss that sometimes happens with like a, a, a loud light in a movie yeah. theater yeah, or, like, or not a movie theater, like a stage theater. Yeah. Like it that, starts, like hum, like that, like the hum. Yeah. yeah. It starts pretty quiet, but it gets slowly louder and louder until it's, it's kind of like, is there a problem with the audio? Like it's yeah. getting really annoying mm-hmm. in the background. And then when the lights click off and the hum drops, there's like a huge moment of relief that you feel when you're like, Oh my God, that sound yeah. is over. And it's like, wait, that's what night, that was what night was worried about. And that um, silence feels so weighty because yeah. it is sort of in that, like, again, like what Sarah was going on about, like uh, pattern matching and also right. like pattern contrasting. Yeah. Right. And then I had to run for my life because the guards <laughs> saw me and I had to <laughs> break out in the museum. Uh, oh my but God. That, you know, that really happened. That's a true story. So, you know, <laughs> I'm going to connect all of this to the thing that I increasingly find myself thinking about more and more these days. Um, which is Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games. Um, And looking back, one of the most important um, pieces of advice that I ever read for my writing was this article that this guy called Justin Alexander wrote about RPGs that was about how do you get your players invested in... I forget exactly what it was, but I think it was basically kind of like, how do you get your players to pay attention to the lore in your world? Um... Because you sent me this article, yeah. I'll try to find it if I can. It's yeah, quite yeah. old, but you know, but like because he was making the point about how many times in a campaign, you know, like as DM, you sort of you know unfurl this like big important character that has so much to say about the lore of the world, and they get two words in edgewise, and the PCs are kind of going like, yeah, 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 okay, let's move on. Like I want to get to the market because I have this like magic horseshoe that I want to sell. And as a DM, you're kind of going like, this, 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 this is the guy that has all the answers to all the things, like, stop and pay attention to him. And so the rest of the article was kind of like, here's some suggestions. And the one that really resonated with me was make the players want to meet this guy before they meet him. You know, like if for a couple of sessions, wherever something is bad is happening, they're finding letters addressed to this guy. And then, like, you know, like, when they find, like, that, like, magical rusted sword, when they, like, peel the rust off with, like, the magical restorative elixir, like, this guy's name is on the blade. And then, like, you know, if this other thing happens that points towards this guy, when someone, you know, casually mentions, like, you know, at the palace ball, that's like, oh, so-and-so's about to arrive, the PCs are going to be like, cancel everything, we're gonna go talk to this guy, we're gonna find out his backstory, we're gonna find out, like, who hurt him when he was young, we're gonna do this, we wanna know everything about this guy. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that, and you know, like, 
again, because in things like audio fiction, you are dealing with so much of like the things that normally make us empathetic towards people are denied to us. We don't have like big expressive eyes that are like windows into the soul. And we don't have sort of, you know, people can just like look at someone and immediately be like, who is this poor, frail creature that clearly needs to be protected? I must save them. I think that a lot of the time it comes from you need to make someone first be interesting. And then when you sort of like reveal their backstory, then they can kind of be empathetic because people were already like a little bit at least curious about them. You know, we talked for a moment about Unseen. Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that like a recurring thing in every rewrite of every episode of Unseen is that characters' backstories always moved backwards in the episode. Um, Like, you know, especially I'm thinking of like Eli Barraza's episode, the like third episode, um, which kind of has this explanation about I am kind of cagey and kind of afraid because one time I got too close to someone and this like magical, mysterious presence that stops normal mortals from seeing magic kicked my ass so much that I am now like very vulnerable and very afraid to have this contact again until it's now like very, very near to the end. No, it's very late. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. Originally, I think it was even before um, like the the. the alchemy, alchemy demonstration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and like the first draft of it. But you're right. And that's, you know, it, it happened both because you want to earn those moments um, and also because you want in, in it, because you don't have any of those visual signifiers. You want someone to be in love with an audio fiction character before they realize that they are. Yeah. And like when you give them the thing that would be like, oh, no, I must protect you forever. They in in audio fiction you already were ready you were there you were at the door you just didn't know it um and so I think like thinking about not so much what tragic backstory can I give that will justify emotions for this character like what joke can I tell or what silence can I extend just a little bit too yeah. long that mm-hmm. will clue someone in who's like oh there's something going on with this person yeah and. Like all those things are like amplified when you're writing the bad guy, right? When you're like, (laughs) when you're trying to get like, because you don't want your bad guy to just be, you know, evil to the nth degree, right? You need some reason for the listener to like kind of care about the bad guy just a little bit so that you are there for it when he falls. I love this idea of like using curiosity as a gateway to empathy, like just teasing little, little pieces of this story. And again, kind of that repetition of like, uh, oh, man, I'm trying to think of of there's like an example in the back of my head that I can't think of where like, oh, I mean, The Great Gatsby, mm-hmm. where like every time you hear about Gatsby, it's a slightly different story and you're not yeah. sure which one is true so that you're slowly being lulled into it. Um, and yeah, I if I have a, a little soapbox, not soapbox, what do you stand on? Do you stand on a soapbox? You do stand, yeah, you on, stand a soapbox. on a soapbox. Yes. Box, yeah. yeah. Okay. Or a stump. I, yeah, my stump, my stump, my soapbox uh, <laughs> is that, you know, I've I've heard some people say, you know, audio fiction, you can't show, don't tell. Uh, and I disagree. I think there's a lot of room to show and not tell in audio fiction through through these exact things we're talking about, through teasing, through pattern repetition, through like instilling curiosity so that you're not the one doing the telling. They're seeing it in their mind and they're trying to gra- gra- grab onto like, what is this thing? 
and that pulls them in closer. Uh, so I think the absolute master at this um, is David K. Barnes. Um, yeah. And I remember like one of the most like both inspiring and terrifying moments of my audio fiction career. And I rue that we were not recording this when he did it. Um, but when we, number one, realized that we were going to do Unseen, but then number two, realized that because of the pandemic, it was going to be a single narrator show for every episode, which we'd never really done. We had kind of a conversation with him a little bit about this, a little bit about like, David, how do you show not tell when it's just like one single person talking? Um, and he kind of did this demonstration for us where he first did like a version of a scene that was and like completely off the cuff where he was <laughs> first doing the version of it that was all telling. And it was I woke up and I had this horrible hangover and I went into the kitchen and I like tripped over myself and I put like my tie in the coffee and my roommate, you know, like asked me where that money was that I owed him. And it was all terrible. Um, and then he did the version of it that was like, you know, I got up around eight. Aside from, you know, my like blinding headache and my like sensitivity to light, I was feeling fantastic. <laughs> the road to the counter where my coffee awaited was completely hassle free if you ignore the way that the dog bit me when I like stepped on his tail. I tried to tell my roommate that I was feeling quite all right and to hide the effects of the alcohol. This was somewhat undermined when he pointed out that my coffee was now in my tie and it was turning rapidly brown. I like, you know, gave him the two pounds that I owed him. He was very gentlemanly when he asked me where the remaining 10 were. And, you know, and it was just sort of this like wonderful thing where it was kind of a like, okay, no, like, look, like, listen to the version of that. Listen to the difference where like now there is discovery. There is now sort of, you know, this like, little spark of kind of realization with every step of the way there these like little and moments of definition and personality absolutely even though it is just the same one person narrating everything yeah everybody hire david k barnes he's great yeah that's so that's smart. that's the moral of the story Alrighty, that is all the time that we have for this episode of No Bad Ideas. Um, but Ponders, thank you so much for coming through and like walking through these two terrible ideas with us and then through this genuinely fascinating craft discussion that like i'm gonna walk away from it doing a lot of really good thinking so thank you so much for being on the show of course it was my honor it was wonderful to be here now for folks that want to hear more of your awesome thinking and check out some of this um truly truly prolific amount of work that you've done in the field uh what are the best places to go to check that out yeah, I think the the best place is probably my Twitter, which is at TH Ponders, because I retweet everything that I do. There are other things for other shows, like other handles. Um, but if I like could, that's can the I central? That's like the central thing. I, I will retweet everything there. I'll talk about what I'm doing there. Um, if I could plug something that I'm working on, please, real quick, please, uh, because it's not my thing. So I feel less icky about this. Um, so I am currently a producer and engineer for a show that Yanni Smith has written called 1972. Awesome. Um, it is about Shirley Chisholm, the first black woman and first woman to run for president on a major ticket. Uh, and Angela Davis, the uh, uh, Angela Davis. Famous uh, a prison abolitionist, Angela Davis, uh, their time in 1972. It's coming out later this summer. It's going to be a real treat. Um, otherwise, I make Accession. I make The Wanderer. I'm, I'm a staff writer for Greater Boston. And if you listen to this tiny little show I made called Mars's Best Brisket, you'll hear the funniest thing I've ever written in the middle of it. 
which is where Gabrielle and Sarah and Zach do a ad for a fictional product called the Tearaway Duvet. That's right. Um, and nothing I make will ever be funnier. That's like <laughs> 30 straight seconds of Velcro before Gabrielle says, and that's how I get a good night's sleep. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I have, We all had a great time doing that. Um, so we highly encourage everyone to check that out. We highly encourage you to check out The Wanderer. We highly encourage you to check out Accession. And later this summer, we highly encourage you to be on the lookout for 1972. This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show happen. And a special shout out to our Idealist members, Jennifer Schneider, Rena Sarame, Jeffrey Felsher, and Dia. Today's episode features music by State Shirt and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you love this show, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen and share it with someone you love.